0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. About a little over two years ago, he spoke at our youth winter camp. So you're going to get a chance to hear what our youth heard. And let me tell you, it was a game changer. Uh, the most important thing about this guy is his character. Um, I've known him for almost two decades. And let me tell you, this is a guy that we're bringing in here. Um, Yes, it's about what he's about to say and what God's message is for us, but he's a man of God who we could follow as he follows Christ. So if you would, give a thunderous welcome, a warm welcome for our preacher today, the man, my brother, Kelly McCoy. So good. So encouraging. Wow. Go ahead and take your seat, everybody. Wow. Church family. What? You know, there's just something that feels like home no matter where you go because Jesus is here and God is our Father and home isn't necessarily where the heart is, it's where the Father is and so I'm so glad to be in the Father's presence with you guys today. Thank you again for having me. Uh, like uh, Michael said, Mike, Michael, <laughs> like Mike said, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I've had the privilege of just really um, being here a second time, which is great, but I've had the privilege of being mentored by him personally and maybe you don't know that he was my college pastor and it was he was just as crazy then as he is now and um, and Dave Fleg, he was also my college pastor which tells you I was in college for a very long time uh, you know I didn't I didn't succeed the first time around second time and finally got it the fourth time so um, and so I'm just so glad that I get to now be a college and young adult pastor for for young um, young adults 18 to 25 now uh, at the church at Rocky Peak and I'm so pumped that I get to be invited for a second time. And there's a part of me every time I go and speak, but especially here at Sun Grove, that I want this time to be better than the last time. I want this time to be better than the last time. And, and I know that uh, there's other areas of my life that I definitely want the next time to be better than the last time as well. And... And I realize if the next time is going to be better, it's not going to be the external stuff that needs to change. It's not going to be the behavioral stuff that necessarily needs to change. It's going to start with the internal stuff. It needs to start with the be- belief stuff. See, for instance, uh, when I was 13, I had some quote-unquote friends. They were more like bullies, but they were friends. I would call them friends. And I'm just going to scoot that over. And I, uh, I had some friends, and they would make fun of me for two things. They would tease me all the time for two things. The first thing they would tease me about is being a virgin. The second thing they would tease me about was uh, being afraid to do bad things because my friends were bad. In order to be cool, I had to be bad, right? And so I was trying to impress my friends one day, and I'm hanging out with them, and they're making fun of me, and they're like, "Ha, you're a virgin. I'm like, I'm not a virgin. I make sex all the time. I'm so good at making sex. And then they're like, they're like, dude, you are so a virgin. Nobody would ever say that out loud, you know, with your with their mouth. And so, but you did. And um, and the second thing, and they were starting teasing me about. And I, I was noticing this guy's fresh new Adidas. And and he's like, yeah, I, I stole. My friend was telling me how he stole these these shoes, his Adidas. And I'm like, you stole your you stole those? Like you didn't pay for them? You like went into a store and and walked out with them? He's like, yeah, I did. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he was telling, he was starting to tease me. And he's like, You wouldn't know anything about that. Because you would never do something like that. And I did what any 13 year old boy would do I said, Uh uh-uh. uh. I could steal those right now. Challenge accepted, my friend. And so um, he's, he's like, You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm like, Yeah, I could do it right now. I'm a man. I'm a man. I can steal stuff. I'm going to steal stuff right now. And um, he's like, fine, let's do it. I'm like, cool, I need a ride because I don't drive. So can I, can I hop on the front of your handlebars and ride up to the Northridge Mall? Sorry, Northridge Mall. Um, so we ride up to the Northridge Mall, the most uncomfortable ride you've ever experienced in your life. And we finally get to the Sears because that's how I roll. Um, so I get to Sears. And I see the two double doors, and I walk in, and I look like the most suspicious character ever. And so I'm like looking left, looking right, and I'm like, like do I, I look like the Hamburglar. And I'm like, like creeping in there. And I, uh, I walk in, and I, I see the shoes, and I make sure I get the right size, because that would be embarrassing. Uh, so I get the right size, and I look left, look right, and I see the two double doors, and I see those little sensors at the end, you know, with the little, you know, li- they light up and make noise. And I figure... I can, I can run fast enough. Either A, the sensors won't catch it, or B, like, they won't catch me, If you know. Uh, so so I, I, I look left one more time, and then I just bolt for the door. Bam! So I'm going for the door, and I'm running, I'm running, and I see the sensors, and I just hit the two double doors, and then I hit the second double doors, and I turn right, and I'm praying to God. I didn't even believe in God at the time, but whoever was listening, that my, my friends wouldn't have left me, that the bike would still be out there. Sure enough, I turn right. My friends are there. Thank whoever. And I get on the bike, and we're just going down Tampa. And I'm still like paranoid because I'm like looking back to see if anyone's chasing me, and no one's chasing me because you know they're they're out. You know, there's just you know high school, you know, 10th graders who are just working there, and they don't care who steals. Uh, So I'm finally get to my apartment. I pull out the box, and it was like like an awe moment. Like, oh, I found it. I I literally stole some shoes. But I try not to be too excited because, you know, I'm a man. Um, And I literally can picture it right, like, in my head. There were dark blue Reeboks with black stripes with white soles. And I opened the box. I'm excited to uh, wear these shoes, but there's a problem. There's these, like, little sensors, things that, that was connected to the shoe and it's like clear, and then it was like beige, and it's a sensor. So I'm trying to open it, and it won't open. So we, so I'm like, okay, it's okay. I got this. I got this. No problem. I got this. So we get some magnets, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fix this. I get this. And then the magnets are not working, and I'm like, I got an even better idea. Give me some pliers. So I get some pliers, and all my friends are like, this is the only time my friends have ever been encouraging to me. They're like, you can do it, Kelly. I'm like, yeah, can I man." And so I, uh, I got the suppliers, and then all of a sudden I hear a crack. Now, I don't know if you know what's inside those sensors, but I found out, and it was very, very disgustingly painful as well. So what happens inside those sensors, there's like this dark blue ink that if you disrupt the sensor, it will just ooze out on whatever you stole and ooze out all over your hands. And so it, like, and there's, like, glass, and there's shards of glass, so it literally looked like I got into a bar fight with a Smurf, and, like, I won. And so that's what it looked like. I had Smurf blood all over my hands, and I was literally caught blue-handed, right? That's what happened. And the thing is, is that I did not have a stealing problem. I had a belief problem. If I want next time to be better than the last time, I needed to change my belief because I didn't have a stealing problem. I had an insecurity problem. And if the next time was going to be better, I needed to stop making decisions based on how I can impress my friends. Now, the same is true with you. If you want next time to be better than the last time, there's a couple things that you need to know about your life. Maybe what is the one thing that you want to change? Is it your diet? Is it your habits? Is it your relationships? Maybe you've been on a cycle of relationships and you just keep dating the wrong guy over and over and over again, and you're sitting there to yourself thinking, what's wrong with these guys? But you forget the common denominator in all of these relationships. You. Maybe it's the same thing with an addiction or same thing with your finances or same thing with your mortgage. Or same thing with your schools, your school loans, and your, 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 your education, and you keep fa- failing or flunking. Guess what the common denominator is? You. Because everywhere you go, you're there. So today, we're going to ask the question, how do we make next time better than the last? And I believe God's word answers that question with profound, profound dignity to who we are, the, the way God made us to be. So let's pray as we jump into God's word. Father, I pray that you would use this vessel, that I would open my mouth and people would hear your words. I pray that the soil of people's hearts would be soft, that they are ready to receive God's word, and that it would grow in them to a level of maturity that they can never think or imagine. I pray that every single person in here would walk out of here with more Jesus than they came with. And everybody said, amen. I don't know what time I'm supposed to stop preaching, actually. I think I'll stop at 12. Uh, or Tuesday. All right. The, uh, the interesting thing is, if you want next time to be better than the last time, we need to reveal our faults and not conceal our faults. We need to reveal our faults and not conceal our faults because we're tempted to conceal our faults because we think that we need to display an aura of perfection to people around us in order to progress in life. But... The opposite is true. We're going to take a lesson from the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, open to James, chapter 5, verse 16. But please give me a moment before we read what James has to say. Can I just tell you about the author real fast? See, James is Jesus' brother or half-brother because, you know, God's his father. You get it. So James is Jesus' brother, so he grew up. Next to perfection, his whole life, right? So, if you are, if you live in a state in, of, of comparison to perfection, you will be very insecure. You will be very aware of your failures. You will be very aware of your insecurities. And that's why Instagram can be a little bit dangerous. Because what happens with Instagram, in this, or just my life, is that it'll be 2 a.m. and you're scrolling through Instagram and you're watching perfection. You're seeing people rock climbing and working out and you see ripped abs, but you're in your bed eating Cheetos and you're like, ugh. And you're just aware of that state of imperfection that you are in when you are looking at perfection. And so James, like me sometimes, lived with perfection just out of touch. Right? Jesus was so close. He, but the proximity would make you very aware of how imperfect you are. And I would imagine Mary on maybe one of her worst days saying, James, oh James, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? And James just downcast. He's like, because I'm not God. All right. Now, But this is what James has to say about failure. So that's why I wanted you to know. This is what James has to say about failure. Uh, James 5.16 says this. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. So that you may be healed. How in the world does admitting your faults to somebody heal you? Well, because whenever you share a burden with somebody, when you share a burden with someone who cares about you, that burden gets cut in half. It's like they're carrying the other side of a, of a heavy weight. And when you share a joy with somebody and you're excited about something and they're sharing in that joy with you, guess what happens to that joy? That joy gets doubled. And that's why circle groups are so important here at, at Sun Grove Church. Right? Circle groups are is a place where you can share your burdens and share your joys. Because when you share a burden, that burden gets cut in half. And when you share a joy, that joy gets doubled. And James, Jesus' brother, knows that. And that's why he says, admit your faults. Don't conceal your faults. But the reason why we conceal our faults is for one reason and one reason only. You know what that reason is? It's a P, It starts with a P, ends with ride, ride. Um, Pride. 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 The only reason why we want to conceal our faults is because we want people to think that we're better than we actually are. We just do. And pride, the source of pride came from our first uh, ancestors, Adam and Eve, but it, it carries out through our life, and it also carries out through our Christianity. See, some of you were like me, that when you became a, a Jesus follower, or maybe you're still on the fence, so maybe you're at the beginning, You're like me, and you gave your life to Jesus. That's my age. Um, I know, it doesn't look it. Um, that's right, black don't crack. Here we go. I, so I gave my life to Jesus when I was 15, and and I, I started reading the Bible. And as I got older, 17, 18, I started really being interested in service teams and you know, life groups or circle groups. And then I started uh, reading Genesis and through the whole Bible. And I was like, really, prof- it was like really profound the things I was learning about how God created the earth, where the dinosaurs went, why girls act like that, why- how Jesus came and saved me from my sins. And I was like, yes, the reckless love of God. It's so awesome, right? And I was, I, my view of God was just huge the more I learned about God. But at one point, somebody told me something very, very dangerous. You know what they told me? They told me, hey, Kelly, you're mature. I'm like, really? Mature? And that wasn't the dangerous part. The dangerous part was I believed them. And the older I got, the more I thought I knew about God, and the less I began to learn, and the more critical I became, and the more I started doing just going through the motions and then eventually stop showing up to things. And I call this the bell curve of familiarity. And I know there's people in here that are going through the motions and they're critical because there's this young guy with a hat. He's wearing a hat and he's reading the Bible. Um, And they're just critical. You might be caught in the bell curve of familiarity. And this, all of this, spells pride And the only way we get off that roller coaster is by revealing our faults. Because it reminds you that you're human. And it relates with the people around you. Especially, there's people in here that are leaders. There's people in here that are leaders. And they feel, that, they feel the pressure to be perfect. But let me tell you, leaders in the room, people who are serving, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, awesome people that are serving. People would rather follow a leader who is real than one who is always Right? So reveal your faults, don't conceal them, be relatable. Bear your burdens with one another and share your joys because they get doubled, and those burdens get cut in half. James knows it, and so does Solomon in Proverbs 18:18. Solomon says, "Pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall, and if you want next time to be better than the last, get rid of pride and start revealing your faults." So how? Do we progress and get better next time than the last time? Let's reveal our faults. And secondly, we own our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. We stop blaming people for how you feel. I know that this comes out of our mouth a lot. They made me feel this way. I wouldn't have done this if they hadn't done that. But guess what? You are responsible for your behavior. You're responsible for your thoughts, feelings, and behavior. I love, I'm totally pulling an audible right now. You know, we're called to forgive, right? Forgiveness, right? And we don't actually know what that word means. It's a really difficult word, and the word in itself is not the definition of the word. I forgive you. So what does that mean? Well, I just forgave them, right? I just, have you heard that? You hear people say that? Well, I have. And And the functional definition for forgiveness is no longer holding somebody responsible for the pain that you are feeling today. That's a hard one. I'll say that again. Because I know that there's a lot of people in here who feel hurt, abandoned, abused. Forgiveness is when you no longer hold someone responsible for the pain that you are carrying with you today. For instance, if you are offended Right? And an offense is like somebody coming into your house and just leaving their trash in your house. And I'm not talking about like a stick of gum trash. I'm talking about they just offloaded their junk right into your living room. Like, wow, and it smells. Right? That's an offense. That is offensive. If you do that, please clean up after yourself. But that person leaves. But their trash is still left in your living room. Right, The longer you hold on to that offense, the longer you hold on to bitterness is like leaving their trash in your living room. Because eventually, who's responsible for the trash in your living room? You are. Yeah, let's try that again. Who's responsible for your junk? You. Right? Forgiveness is taking their trash out. You're no longer going to wait for them to come back. To clean up their trash, you're gonna take responsibility for your own thoughts, for your own feelings, and for your own behavior, and you're gonna take it out and bring it to the feet of Jesus and forgive them by releasing them the responsibility of coming back and cleaning up their trash. That's essentially forgiving people before they even ask for forgiveness. I digress. Own your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors if you want to do better next time. Own your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. I love this story about John Wooden. You guys know who John Wooden Raise your hand if you know who John Wooden is. All right, great. 1974, he led the UCLA Bruins in an 88-game winning streak. 88 88 games. Have you ever done anything 88 times just better than everyone else? Well, John Wooden has, but that's just the craziest thing to me. And on the 89th game, people were expecting him to, to, to bring the UCLA Bruins to the 89th win. Unfortunately... Notre Dame beat UCLA. And the headline of the news the next day says this. John Wooden says, blame me. Blame me. He's not pointing fingers at his team. John Wooden didn't even play. He wasn't even on the court. He didn't even hold the basketball, right? He can easily blame his players or blame the other team for just being awesome. But John Wooden doesn't make excuses. He doesn't point fingers but he accepts responsibility. And that's what winners do. They don't make excuses. They accept responsibility. Failure isn't the end. Failure is education. That's good. I know that someone's writing that down. Failure is not the end. It's education. That's what winners do. Whenever I'm in a conflict, typically with my wife, love you, boo, um, or even just I, I even if I'm like like my past is just keep kept catching up to me, you know, sometimes I um I I blame my past decisions for my irresponsibility today. Have you ever done that? Like, oh, I'm doing this because, you know, I grew up in a bad home or something like that. Oh, I never had, you know, funding to go to school or I never learned that and so it's not my fault, right? We use that word, it's not my fault. And we let the things in our past creep up into our present and then we point to our past as an excuse for our bad behavior in the present. You know what I'm talking about. And it could be the same thing with a marriage. It could be the same thing with a second marriage. It could be the same thing with an addiction. And we just point to our past. we like, well, we didn't know this. We didn't know that she was going to have an addiction. We didn't know that he was going to grab a bottle. We did not know that she had an anger issue, so I'm out. And we let our past dictate our present. So I want to give you a tool to help you take responsibility for your peace of the past. Think of your past and even just your life as a a big pie. You like pie? It's 11 o'clock. You guys are already thinking about Marie calendars. It's a bad illustration. You guys are hungry. And, And whenever you're in a conflict with somebody, it's easy to think it was all their fault. If it wasn't for the school system... I wouldn't be in the situation they're all against me, my teachers, my whatever. You just blame everybody. But in order to make peace with your past, you need to take responsibility of your peace of the past. I know it's cheesy, but it works. In order to have peace with your past, you need to take responsibility for your peace of the past even if it's 10%, even if it's 1%, don't focus on the other person's responsibility. Focus on your responsibility, the fact that you didn't understand, the fact that you overlooked, that you saw the signs coming, but you weren't willing to address it. In order to make peace in every, any relationship, just think about it, any conflict that you're in, even right now, you may think it's all their fault, and maybe, but if you were to ask yourself how can I make next time better than last time? There might be one sliver that is your fault. One sliver that you are responsible for. If two people in a conflict focus on their peace, well, that, that conflict can progress. That relationship can progress. That relationship will be better next time, and it won't be like last time. But as long as two people are focusing on something that they can't even control, well, that relationship, that conflict is doomed to be unresolved. If you want next time to be better than the last time, we need to start making progress and stop making excuses. I I was doing research this week. And by research, I was scrolling through Facebook. And um, I saw this video of this guy named Darius. And it just went on this trail, but Darius was born with um, uh, uh, underdeveloped legs, like as in like no feet, and underdeveloped arms. And and he was a tenth grader, or even a ninth grader. He early on in his life, he he started to practice playing the piano. And then he taught himself how to play the piano. And then he got so good as an 11th grader that he was invited to play in Car- at Carnegie Hall by a famous pianist from Korea. And in fact, I want to show you uh, a video that I saw with Darius. Go ahead and check out, check out the screen. Like Darius, Darius, and like John Wooden, he didn't make excuses. If anybody had excuses to make, it was Darius. And he's like one of the best pianists like, in the world because those are the type of pianists who play at Carnegie Hall. So what's your excuse? Because my charge to you today is that, is that you're going to make progress but not by making excuses. See, you can either make progress or you can make excuses. You can either point the finger, but that's not going to get anywhere. And if you keep blaming people for your, for your problems today, you're just going to smuggle your problems into the next relationship or into the next car loan or into the next business, that startup. But we need to start by asking the question, what can I do to make next time better than the last? The last thing that we can do, the last belief that the Bible implores us to do is to decide to make a mark in advance on people's life. Like decide in advance the kind of impression, the kind of mark that you want to leave on other people. See, 1 Timothy 4.12 is uh, the passage that uh, that I want you to turn to. But before I go to there, I want to tell you about a guy who failed miserably. Miserably. His name is Paul. And he's the one writing this book to a circle leader named Timothy. See, Paul was known for killing Christians, like literally murdering Christians. And he had a dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And instead of wallowing in his shame and guilt, he did something about it. He went into training for 15 years. And at the end of his 15 years, he had enough influence and enough enough clout where he can start investing in pastors and leaders. And so he invests in this young leader named Timothy, and by young means under 40. And this is what he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, instead of people making an assumption about who you are, because they are, when you walk into someone's presence or into someone's house, they have already made a judgment of the kind of person that you are going to be. But he says, no, 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 switch it on them. Like, throw something at them that they're not going to expect. Show them how much you love them. Show them how much faith you have. Show them how much purity that you exhibit in your life. And they're going to see it by the way you speak and the way you conduct yourself, especially if you are young or whatever age you are. And there's a couple defining factors, and two of those which I want to bring out. The first one is faith. Wouldn't it be great if you were defined by your faith instead of your clothes instead of your image, instead of your car, instead of your business, because that is all usually the first question people ask when they meet you. What do you do? And then sometimes if you're out of a job, you have to tell them what you don't do. But what if you left those conversations and what if you left those relationships and they were imprinted by how much faith that you had? Now, faith is an interesting word. Remember we talked earlier about forgiveness faith isn't one of those other words that is like faith in faith and you know i hear that a lot and i don't really know what it means but i hope i have it well faith is the substance of things unseen according to hebrews chapter 11 right you've heard that faith is the substance of things unseen so therefore faith is what a substance great job 10 points for everyone right faith is a substance so the substance of my faith is what you see The substance of my faith is something you see. So faith is something that you see? Yes, because it's the evidence of my unseen belief. For instance, when I got on an airplane to come to Sun Grove, I did not see the credentials of the pilot, right? But the substance of my faith was walking on the plane. And here I am today, praise God. So far so good. you understand that? Right, so the substance of your faith in Jesus Christ is going to be evident in your love for one another. And that's why it says Love, let, like, let all the believers be known for their love. Now, there's two types of loves. There's selfish love and there's selfless love. Which one do you think he's talking about? Selfless love. So the selfish love is what we see in, in immature love, and that's a love that focuses on me, my selfie, and I. You can tell by how many selfies are in your camera roll, how much you love yourself, Right? So, and, and, and the reality is is that people who are focused on selfish love, they're focused on what they're not getting and how much love they're getting, right? Everything revolves around whether or not they're going to give or well, whether or not they're going to receive love. But the kind of love that Paul is talking about is the kind of love that says, what can I do for you? How can you feel love? What can I do to make sure that I see you and I see how awesome you are and I see God's plan for your life? And by the time I leave here, you're going to leave, like you're going to leave, like sorry, by the time I leave your presence, you're not going to have met with me. You would have met with the loving Father of Jesus Christ. You would have met Jesus. Like, that's the idea. That if your goal into every, like, dinner party, every time you go out to coffee, like, eve, or go out to lunch after this, your goal is not to be fed physically, which you will be, or, or fed emotionally, but your goal is to give love to the people around you. And that's the kind of mark. Now, it says, here, set an example for the believers in speech. Set an example. The Greek translation can be reiterated in a couple ways. One of those is leave a mark, make an impact, leave an imprint. So it's like a piece of wax that they would put on, a, on, a, on an envelope, and they would seal it with a signet ring. That's the kind of word that's being used here. So when you leave people's life, when you leave people's presence, you are making an impression that stays with them long after you're gone. And what better way to leave an impression by loving them? There's no, See, there's no other way. There's no better way. And that's what the Apostle Paul implores us, to l- make a mark, leave a seal. I remember I was marked by Jesus. See, you can't make a mark on people's life unless you've been marked by God's love. You just can't. See, I remember when I was marked by Jesus. I was 15 years old, and I was walking home from a donut shop, and there was this guy parked there, and he got out. He's a nicely dressed, like, Asian guy, and he and he told me to come over. And I went over there, and I and he talked to him, and I talked to him on the street. See, I, I, I'm not a religious guy. My my parents didn't really didn't believe in God, and and you know they were drug addicts and alcoholics, and that's just where I grew up. But I was walking home, and this guy summoned me over, and I and I and I I talked to him and he and he started to tell me about the love of Jesus and how it affected his life so much and how he, he wanted to offer it to me. I was like I was like really? He want God loves me? Like don't you know I've done a lot of bad things? Like I stole a pair of shoes at Sears. He's like, "Yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life." Jesus paid the debt that you owe. I'm like, really? I'm like, what do I have to do? He's like, just receive Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but sign me up. And as the band comes up, I tell you, I kid you not, that day in front of Judy's Donuts on the corner of Sada Koi I was 15 years old, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I haven't looked back since. And my... And let me tell you, my circumstances did not change, but I did. And I took responsibility for my thoughts, feelings, and emotions and behaviors. And as the band comes up, I want you to consider the same thing for yourself. Have you been marked by the love of Jesus? Would you like to be marked by the love of Jesus? I want to invite you right now to go ahead and lean, uh, lean forward to your, uh, the, the, the table in front of you. And pull out a Sun pan, pen. You may not have to because you stole one last week. Um, and what I want to invite you to do is just go ahead and put a mark on your hand. To remind yourself that you've been marked by the love of Jesus today. And that you have something to offer the people around you. Just put a mark to remind you. That, that, that we are going to decide in advance the kind of mark we want to leave on the people around us and it's not going to be the selfish type of love but it's going to be the selfless love from Jesus Christ who 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 gave himself up for us and therefore we don't love people the way we want to be loved no 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 we love people the way he loved us that's the kind of mark that we're going to leave on the people around us on grove and if you've never been marked by the love of Jesus and maybe today's the day that you want to do that you can go ahead and put a mark on your hand as well, but be sure to cross the bridge. See, from left to right on the, on the upper quadrant, I made a second mark. And that's the mark uh, that symbolizes the gap between me and God that is being bridged, that cleanses me from all sin and all unrighteousness. See, I started the day telling you about a story how I was stained by my sin. I was stained by the bad things that I did. I was stained by um, a security sensor. But because of Jesus' blood on the cross, he has now washed me free. And I am now marked by his love, and now I can offer that love to the world around me. And if I want next time to be better than the last time, I will decide today to leave a mark on everybody else around me. And they will notice, not my age, not my behavior, but they will notice how I love them. Will you join me, Sun Grove? What I want you to know is that you're leaving a mark on people's lives, whether you know it or not. And if you want next time to be better than the last time, first we need to reveal our faults. And not conceal them. We need to own our own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And last, we need to decide in advance the kind of mark that we leave on people's lives around us. And won't you all, and won't we all, become passionate Christ followers who lead the charge in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith? and impurity by leaving a fresh impression on everyone around us. Let's pray. As heads bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask you, have you been marked by the love of Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have Do you know where you're going to go when you leave this earth? See, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, Lord simply means leader of your life. And if you want to make that decision for the first time, if you want to make Jesus the leader of your life, if you want to make sure that next time is better than the last time, if today's a day where you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity and I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Yes, this is between you and God. I'm praying for you. All right, amen, amen, amen. I'm praying for you back there. All right, go ahead and put your hands down. And if today you know that you've been marked by the love of Jesus, but you keep repeating the same addictions, you keep repeating the same relationship problems, you keep getting in the same arguments, Maybe today's the day where you are going to decide in advance that you are going to be selfless with your love instead of being consumed with receiving love. That you are going to start taking ownership for your part of any conflict and you're going to stop blaming and start making progress. And I want to pray for you too. So go ahead and keep your heads bowed and just agree with me in prayer. Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me and giving me a second chance at life. That today is the beginning of a new way of thinking about my circumstances. I pray for a heavenly mindset. I pray that you would give me your thoughts, that you would replace your thoughts with my thoughts, and then you would be in the center of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, cleansing me so that I can be clean, And I could leave the world marked up with your love instead of being marked by sin. We pray that right now that you come into our life and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. And we thank you for where you're leading us. And in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.